0: seven years old, I had a conversation with my stepmother, And this rings through my memory very clearly. So let's examine. Uh, this conversation had three pieces, just like the dialogue with Jesus had a specific set. So this is what she told me. She said, some of us are dealt an unfair hand in life. Second thing she told me, there's no use complaining about it. Third thing, you take the cards you have been dealt, best that you can. Now, she used the card analogy with the seven-year-old, for some reason I understood, because I think we practice how to play spades all the time. Um, but, it that alone doesn't tell you it's a defining moment. It doesn't have any value to it. So, if we dig underneath the hood a little bit, we'll see the contributing factors. First contributing factor, her and my dad just got divorced. And so, she called me to tell me, She was my most maternal figure, and actually most parental figure I had. And so, she no longer could legally take care of me. And I had to be left in a new environment with a person who was no longer, who was not my parent. So, I was feeling a loss of control. So when I hear her say, some of us are dealt an unfair hand, there's no use complaining about it. You take the cards that you've been dealt, make the most of it, it means something a little different, because we have some context. And the values that she was teaching were independence and self-responsibility. She was telling me, no one's going to be there to check your homework anymore. No one's going to make sure, essentially, that you make sure that you bathe every day on a regular and put lotion on behind yourself. Um, There's that thing, that parental thing that people would have to double-check their child I would no longer have that. So she wanted to instill values. In me. And I interpreted those a certain way. So I took it as overcome all challenges, endurance, do it to the full max, push past it. And I had what I called survival mode, which is doesn't matter how you feel, get it done. And I lived by that for quite some time. Then I had... Uh, I'm supposed to be in control. I have to be responsible for making sure that everything is right. And my interpretation, I came to birth of perfectionism, right? Like, I need to control everything that I can to the T. And then also self-reliance. But I interpreted that as don't trust anybody, do it yourself. And so we interpret the values that someone teaches based upon the lens that we have. And so what I want us to do now is to take those same things to examine the contributing factors, the values, and to also evaluate what are the takeaways from this moment this woman had with Jesus. So let's recap the story real quick. Jesus told his disciples that he would die and be resurrected by God. So this is like mm, second, third time that they've heard this. And this mother um, of the two disciples, her sons are John and James. And she comes forward to ask Jesus to award them positions of honor. He responds, you don't really understand what you're asking. Um, And neither do the rest of these disciples really understand. And the remaining 10 disciples expressed anger towards the woman through her sons. And Jesus shares important values with them based upon their response. All right, so let's examine the contributing Factors. Contributing factors. Contributing factor number one. Relationships. In the first century Mediterranean world, relationships weren't viewed as individuals. They were viewed as groups. Everybody's status, anything, was with the entire group they associated themselves with. They found value in the group. So this woman's social position was tied to her son. And it was tied to their success. So if they had success, she would have success for her entire family. It was her job to advocate for her family. But then also in the group identity, identity, her identity was tethered to them. So women frequently traveled with the men of their household. So, yes, you see the disciples talked about regularly in the Bible. but Most likely their mothers were with them. Their sisters were with them. And, you know, if any of them had wives before, they would be them too. The family promoted care for each other. They were one unit. And this mother in particular, we need to know, is often referred to as Salome. Salome, she was considered to possibly be the sister of Mary. So she would have been Jesus' auntie. Changes the whole dynamic of the story. All right. And so she considered Jesus to be family. And Jesus commonly referred to all of his disciples as family. He called uh, called them brothers frequently. You can see that everywhere. But it was culturally acceptable for people to aspire to excellence, but not at the cost of their family or their group. So here in verse 21, where it says, declare that, Declare that these two sons of mine will sit. Wrong, twenty-one. I right, declare that these two sons of mine will sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Her request challenged the idea that individuals are supposed to gain over the group. So she was bucking against what society thought was normal. Contributing factor number one: that's relationships. Second one: honor. Now. The first century Mediterranean world, they viewed honor just kind of like we did. Honor was used to assert social status and recognize worth. So public offices and that type of status implied ambition and identity with people. Uh, positions next to rulers were highly valuable, and the power and position served as a sign of honor. So the mother's request was for honor for herself in her children, right? But they also use this thing called shame. And shame was the other side of honor. And so, shame is right to invoke guilt by applying something negative to somebody. It's the shame. And it's often associated with correction, even back then. So it's also important that we know that women in this time most times weren't honored. Honored was not reserved for women. They were either shamed not shame very unfortunate never promote that um, then when the remaining disciples responded in verse 22 with anger what they really wanted to do was give shame you shouldn't do this you shouldn't promote yourself over the well-being of the rest of us how could you seek out something just for your sons and not just all of us you''re, you're trying to pursue your own goals at the cost of the rest of us, So, you can read this in verse 22, uh, says, uh, let's see, oh, verse 24. When the 10 heard it, they were angry at the two brothers. So, there's something interesting that we need to notice is the disciples responded with anger, said they were indignant, but Jesus did not. He responded with a simple statement and a question. He said, You don't really understand what you're asking me. Can you really drink this cup? So that's honor. And the last contributing factor that we need to recognize is benefactors. It's not a word we really use today, but a benefactor is someone who helps through money or through any other means to help somebody else. So family members of power served as benefactors to give access and opportunities to their other family members. Again, remember, Salome considered Jesus family, and he was going to have a kingdom. If he's going to have a kingdom, shouldn't that be access? Shouldn't that be a way in for me and my entire family to also have that same type of rule and honor? Rulers often served as benefactors for their followers. This was very common for the time. And Siloam not only viewed Jesus as a benefactor because he was family, but because he was also going to be two things. And so they would have known this. It said earlier on, if we look at John 5, uh, 20 through 23, Jesus often talked about himself as a divine authority to dispense power and position. Um, It says this. The father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing and will show him greater worse than these, so that you will be astonished or mocked. Next verse. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them to life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sinned. Look, it's very clear that all of them knew that Jesus had some power very clear. It was part of his teachings. So the mother, the mother identified Jesus as the one who could give her son. So we understand these things. It begins to change the way we view the story. All right. So let's look at values taught. He responded twice in his first response. It's in verse 22. You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? They respond, we are able. He says, you will indeed drink the cup, my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left, this is not mine to grant, but it is for those to whom it has been prepared by my father. Again, first value, respond with truth and not shame. Truth is, and I know we've done an entire series on truth, but truth is acknowledging the facts and understanding their meaning to others. You can't stop at saying, I just gave a fact. It's about how people are going to interpret the fact. Have you ever heard the statement that good communication, communication like if I'm a communicator, I'm not only responsible for what I say, but how it's interpreted. I have to make sure that people understand what I'm saying. That is good communication. So he explained why their understanding was incorrect. And that's what leads us to know, like, he stated something, but then he also explained it. I think this embodies fully John one fourteen, where it says he came with truth and grace. Right? His truth did not require shame, but what it did require was grace. As in, you don't understand what I'm saying, let me explain it to you. He didn't follow a statement with judgment. He followed it with an explanation. Second thing, to recognize the limitations of assumptions. Jesus urged all his followers to reconsider their assumptions of him as their benefactor. Is he supposed to, want to, supposed to be the one to give them everything, all their help, all their aid, all these things? The wrong assumption led to misdirected questions. He wanted them to see the Father as the benefactor and to know that he only did the work of his Father. John 5.19 tells us this. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing on his own. He can do nothing on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. And then we also see in Proverbs 18.2 it says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing personal opinion. Jesus made them aware that their assumptions, wrongly assuming things, would lead to incorrect opinions instead of trying to seek understanding. The key is to understand rather than to just state. All right, second part of his response. But Jesus called them called to him in verse 25 and said, You know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. It will not be so among you, but whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for men. Jesus defined service as striving for the common good over personal ambition he implied that his example should be followed to sacrifice himself for the good of others and we see in John 15 13 he says no one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for his friends but we also he's saying pursue the common good despite any corruptive temptations including personal gain it is for the common good that's service And then he clarified honor as the product of serving God. Jesus implied that service could be done with love through himself as a comparison. So Matthew 22, 36 through 30, sorry, 36 through 39 talks about the two greatest commandments, right? Love God and then love others as you love yourself. But it says in Romans 12, Verse 9, it says, let love be genuine. Hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. The method to honor is service. Very interesting. So in this moment, he taught four things. Just want to recap. Responding with truth instead of shame recognizing our assumptions, prioritizing the common good over personal ambition, and regarding honor as a byproduct of service. But here's where it gets complicated. Takeaways, as in how do we apply those things to our lives? Takeaways are a very subjective thing, as in they are all about how we interpret them, of how we see Earlier, I talked about the takeaways from my conversation with my stepmom. She was not telling me to put myself in survival mode for 10 years. She was not telling me to be a perfectionist. She was not telling me to trust no one. Those were my assumptions. And it's interesting, in defining moments, what happens is you start clarifying what those values really mean over time. You know, I came to learn, that, hey, she didn't really mean survival mode. She meant get things done, have endurance, but also be emotionally healthy at the same time. They're not mutually exclusive. Like my seven-year-old brain interpreted that, right? In terms of taking control, she didn't mean perfectionism. She meant do what you can and trust God for the rest. And in self-reliance, she didn't mean trust nobody. She meant trust that God will sin and make everything for good in your life. However, my interpretation was off. See, takeaways can be healthy or they can be unhealthy. We are on a journey to try to figure out how to appropriately use what we have been taught. Jesus taught very specific values to Salome, this mother, and all his disciples, but we can't say for sure how they interpreted. We can read later works uh, throughout the rest of the Bible about how these disciples may have applied these. And I think a lot of us would say they applied these well, but they had a learning curve because they didn't do everything right. And they were continuously either corrected by Jesus or corrected by each other. But the Bible did acknowledge this one last thing about this mother, Salome. She's only mentioned two times in the Bible. Only mentioned two times. Matthew goes further in verse 27 to mention her, and it says this at verse 55. There were also many women there looking on from a distance, whereas there, there's the crucifixion of Jesus. So she's looking and watching him be killed. There were also many women there looking from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him. Among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Second and last time she will be mentioned. What's so important about that? It's actually what it says earlier. At verse thirty-eight, it talks about the two bandits, bandits that were crucified next to Jesus, one on his right and one on his left. The statement sounds very sounds very, very familiar. Only one gospel talks about what happened with these two gentlemen, and it's in Luke, starting at verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed, I think that's supposed to be rallied, but railed against Adam, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Verse 40. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed just, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. He's talking about Jesus. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you today, you will. I can only imagine Salome, this mother, who asked Jesus for positions at the right and left, realizing who actually received them Two criminals who do not even deny their guilt. They are guilty. These are the people who Jesus was supposed to suffer and enter into his kingdom. So did she really know what she was asking? I wonder if she realized in that moment everything that Jesus taught her back then and did it make her request make a little more sense about why it had the wrong assumptions, about why it was phrased wrong, about why coming to him and asking that question, it was a little different. See, this is something she didn't understand when Jesus said he was going to die and resurrect. That's how the whole ass started. The whole ask that she requested she made to Jesus started with him saying, I'm going to die and be resurrected by God. But yet she came and her response was to request a position of honor. But Jesus died with these two people next to him. Two criminals. I can only imagine it, right? Like seeing Jesus in the center, one person to the left, one person to the right. The one on the left is guilty. He's guilty, but he knows his error and he sees Jesus' perfection. And he's saying, Hey, can you remember me on the other side? I, I see the error that I did. I see my wrong, and I and I see that you are the one who's gonna make it right. Can you can you help me with that? But then on these this other side, you see someone who's he's not repentant. He's not asking for anything, he's gonna mock him all the way through death. And it's interesting that these are the two intended people, the father, the father chose to be next to Jesus. As if to say that Jesus had to die on a cross and he needed to die for the guilty person who would accept him and the one who did not. But he also needed to die for everyone's guilt. That guilt that Salome faced when she felt that shame from the other disciples, Jesus was dying for that. Jesus died for all of their guilt and odds And this picture of the cross was his way to show this is how you love. This is how you get honor. I'm going to show you giving up your life for your friends, for your family. This is it. And this is what I'm doing for you. So, yeah, her sons would eventually suffer for the gospel. And they would eventually be martyred, which according to Jesus, that's how you get value, right? Like you serve God and you serve others and they laid their lives down to serve others. They did. They imitated God. So eventually they would get honor. So it wasn't the fact that she desired something that was bad. Her and her family would get honor. They would get honor through service and he redirected them on how to do that. What he was saying is that her assumption was wrong, that he needed to die for everyone's guilt and that her son's being next to him in that moment would not communicate that same thing. It would not communicate the same thing. I wonder in that moment, Salome had her unique experience at the cross. Unique experience, right? She probably nobody else probably really caught that message except for her and the disciples that were with her and saw it. That. Hey, the significance of my left and right, that's not your honor. Your honor is to give your life like me. To give your life in service to God, to give your life in service to others. And to give your life isn't necessarily to die, but it is to die itself. We are to pursue the common good of everyone. Jesus died for every single person. Their common good, whether they thought it was their good or not, it was for them. So let me ask you this question. Would you call this now a defining moment? You know what defining moments are now? They are things that settle values inside of you, that you would live for the rest of your life. And in the moment where Salome asks the question to Jesus, and in the moment where she sees him on the cross and the two people who are criminals beside him, did that solidify values? Did she get a message? Does she get a takeaway? I wonder if we look at our own lives, would we, rec- would we recognize the defining moments with God? The ways that he's moving in our own lives and the things that we experience on a day-to-day, that when they come back around, we really see, oh, that's God. He's working, he's moving, he's trying to teach us. And that I'm going to get the true takeaway he wants me to have versus whatever my interpretation is. So if you don't know, I like education, so there's homework. There really is homework. So if you have a pen, take it out, take your phone out, go write this one. I want us, I want us to challenge ourselves. I want us to look at our memories, to look at what we consider to be a defining home one that changed the very course of how we live, And I want us to look at it. But I want us to examine it. I want us to look at what made it a defining moment. What are the contributing factors? What were the assumptions that? What were the values being taught in that moment? And to make sure it's a correct value, use scripture to justify it. <laughs> because if the value is not taught in scripture, it's probably And then lastly, I want us to look at the takeaway. I want us to look at the takeaway. Highlight. It. Highlight what we were supposed to get from it. If we serve a God who has us on a journey, and he's going to see that thing all the way through to the end. He started us at the beginning, and we're in a journey to the end. It says in Philippians. Aren't we supposed to learn something? So what can we learn? What can we learn from our day-to-day experience? How can we see God in the moments and the encounters that we have? How can we look and see him more clearly? I think some of it is by taking the time to really understand the moments that we actually do. If we start and we can identify one moment in the past and understand, oh wow, like that was a value I was supposed to get. And like, where am I now with that? And let's look, let's compare, let's contrast. I think we can really learn something for our lives, whether we it's something we need to work on currently or whether we're doing well at it and there's something else to pick up. We are being made more and more like Jesus. More and more like Jesus It's the whole point. That's sanctification. It's the process of becoming more like him. Defining moments are a part of that process. So, raise your hand if you're going to commit to looking at a defining moment this week. I expect to see it. Let's do the hard work. Let's do the hard work to really recognize the moments where God is trying to get something to us. If we understand it, we'll be much better for it. All right? So, uh, Dan, come on up. This is not your normal sermon. It's not your normal thing. I'm a extraordinary and practical person, so I apologize. But I think those song lyrics that we were actually talking about earlier, he splits the C so we can walk right through it. I know that's not what y'all were supposed to do, but, you know, it recognizes that God orchestrates everything, that he's trying to get our attention in all ways, that he's working for our good even when we don't see. In the little things that we say to him, even if they are incorrect, he still uses those as teaching moments. And he still allows us to encounter that moment again and again across our lives until we get it. Until we understand what he's trying to get to us. In this case, it was the fact that, hey, don't pursue honor, pursue serving. Pursue helping somebody else. In helping somebody else, you'll figure out You'll get everything you want in life if you stop trying to serve self and you serve God and you serve others. How many other things can we get from God if we just take a moment to analyze, take a moment to reflect and see God you're trying to get something to? That's a defining moment in my life. I'm going to be better off and more like you because I recognize it. I hope we can all dig deep and examine what's going on around us. Because a lot of times when the seas are parting, you're walking through it, sometimes you don't recognize their party. You just thought it was easy. And it's easy because he made it easy. And things are hard because he makes it hard. I think sometimes it's so interesting to realize that God can want good for us, but sometimes we have to work out the lesson. We have to work out the lesson. And I'll say it for me. I'm hard-hitting. That's why I have to work out the lesson because unless I get something again and again and again, it doesn't comprehend that well for me. I don't understand it that great. I wanna be able to recognize the things he's taught me and how to apply them quicker and quicker every day. I think that is the metric and that is the mark of progression with God. Being able to be more like him and when the moments I feel like I'm not, being able to recognize it quicker and fix my attention on it again. I think we all are on a journey and we are all moving more towards it. If we do the work, we put in the time, we recognize the things that he's trying to teach us and get to us, man, I think we will be much better. So if today is anything, I hope it's a challenge. To recognize how God is moving in our lives and how we can pay attention to Him just a little bit better. I'm gonna pray. So, Father, I ask, Lord, that you would allow us to recognize defining moments moments that you are knitting together to shape us into someone who's more like you, where you teach your values. You show them, you discuss them with us. And you allow our journey and our experience to help shape them in what you really mean for us to take away. from them. I pray that you would open our hearts to see that we are not always like you. We're not always. But we're becoming more like you. We are teaching us that. You have us in relationship to do that. in every moment that you place around us, everything that happens on our job, everything that happens in our family, it's all just opportunity to be more like you. So show us you. Reveal yourself to us that we would see you more clearly and with clarity. And trust that you desire good for us on this journey. You got our attention the first time. You called us. You let the Holy Spirit knock at the doors of our heart that we would let you in. It's all your work. So we follow in your example. And if we strive for anything, we only strive to see. It's in Jesus' name.